Cairo Radio was paid a fee to air the following program. All information discussed on the following program is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. Prior to acting on any legal matter, you should seek legal advice from a qualified legal attorney who can evaluate your situation and advise you accordingly. Welcome to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Your Partner in Law is brought to you in part by the law firm Gregorick & Associates PLLC. Charting your course to a secure future. Your Partner in Law starts now. Here's your host, Rick Gregorick. Good morning and welcome to Your Partner in Law. Hi, I'm attorney Rick Gregorick and I'm here with my uh, friend, colleague and associate, uh, Ted Hansen. And uh, we're going to have a little class today. And uh, so what we wanted to talk about today with you is what is a trust? What are they? And, you know, there seems to be an awful lot of misunderstanding out there. And uh, I hope through today's discussion, you'll find uh, the many splendors of trust and the many applications of trust, um, and that trust are not the exclusive province of the, you know, the wealthy or the ultra wealthy. Um, many folks of you know very common means. I'll bring my own parents into it. Um, had trust-based planning, and uh, so I think it's worthy of having a discussion on what that is and how these instruments operate. And I, it would be remiss to not mention, you know, the pandemic that we're in and the, kind of the devastation that that's causing, you know, on our healthcare system, our, our personal lives, the economy. I don't need to rehash that. We're all experiencing it. But I do want to underscore the need for you folks to make sure your estate plan documents, if you have them, are up to date. If they're more than a year or two old, I hate to say it, they probably should be reviewed, especially your healthcare documents in light of COVID and how decision-making is made. If you don't have a plan, I just implore you, please get one. Uh, We would love to uh, assist you in that, of course, but uh, there are lots of other places you can get your planning done as well. Just We hope you consider us. And uh, you can always reach us through yourpartnerinlaw.com, and that'll get you right to the law firm or the... uh, able to contact us. Uh, we are we are open for business, uh, practicing the physical and social distancing and all of the cleaning and masking and we shoot your temperature. So everything is, uh, is moving along, but I do see an awful lot of folks that are maybe sitting on the sidelines saying, you know, I need to do my estate plan, but maybe I'll wait till the pandemic's over. That's not a good strategy, unfortunately. So, um, Get it done and uh, give us a call. We'll give you a heads up on how to get that going. And, you know, if you contact us through your partner-in-law, we will be happy to send you out our exclusive life plan organizer. Um, We were the pioneers of this back in the late 90s as far as life planning goes. And so just let us know if you're married or single, and that way we'll get you the proper planner and uh, free of charge, and that'll help get you some ideas and kind of get the juices flowing on estate planning because it's unlike a regular organizer. It goes beyond just saying, well, what do you owe? What is your stuff? Well, that's part of estate planning. But I want to know what are your goals? What are your objectives? What's important to you? What keeps you awake at night? What risk or concerns do you have for yourself, your family, your finances, your future? These are the things that we want to build into your estate plan we used to highly refer to this as your legacy. What legacy are you leaving behind? So give us a call at uh, the office. Uh, you can reach us uh, during the week uh, at 425-284-3450. 425-284-3450. Or, of course, yourpartnerinlaw.com. So, Ted, this whole concept of trust, it really arose um in modern day context, probably around King Henry VIII's time, with I think they called it the Statute of Uses back then, and you know we were horrified on law school exams on this stuff because <laughs> it used language that we're just not familiar with today. But um, you know the the use of trust and trust-like arrangements actually date back in the Egyptians and the Romans and back into antiquity. So this concept has been around a long time, but. You know, the simplest explanation of a trust is it's a three-party agreement 
on what to do about certain assets. And we'll kind of go to expand on that. But Ted, um, you practiced law for quite some time, and I, I don't believe in your early career you were doing you know estate and trust planning, and you've kind of, you know you've evolved into that as many do. What has been your impression um, of trust in general? Well, good morning, first of all, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, throughout my career I've done a number of other things, uh, but always had. Uh, I'll say dabbled in perhaps was is probably the correct word in estate planning because it always intrigued me and it was uh, a much nicer practice of law than litigation which tended to wear me out and still does frankly um, even though I do get into some of that but but we do here at the office a considerable amount of trust documents I, I personally am a big fan of them uh, they are tremendous when they work well there are some things that we're going to talk about today that are absolutely critical in doing a trust. And the number one item that I come across with clients that come in who already have revocable living trusts in particular, I ask them, well, what does the trust own? And not infrequently, the answer is, I don't think it owns anything. Well, you get a blank stare, but well, what do you mean? Yeah, I don't think we, we have anything. So when I practice in California, trusts were the go-to plan for almost everybody because of the probate system in California, which would cost you somewhere in the nature of twenty-five dollars to $30,000 and now even more to probate the average house. Yeah, and, and that was a modest estate. We're not talking that's about right. a $10 million estate. We're talking $1 million or less. That's right. And, and nowadays, most homes in Southern California are eight fifty or more, just as they are here in this, this area, this neck of the woods, is the same kind of thing, although our probate process is not based on the gross size of the estate here, which it is in California. So, so most people in California would have a revocable living trust for no other purpose than to hold their primary residence. And, and that worked well. However, to make a trust fully functional, you have to have it own as much as you can. And when I talk to people about trust, I give them the the illustration that the trust, when you form it, is an empty bucket. And in order to make that uh, trust work, you've got to fill that bucket up. It's like going up the hill to the well and taking the bucket with you and not using the pump to fill the bucket up. And you've just wasted your time coming down the hill or going up the hill both without achieving the goal you set out to accomplish. So funding is a big issue. Yeah, and we're going to talk about funding throughout the day yeah. because it's probably one of the major mistakes that you folks make or that everybody makes when they do trust is they don't do that. And it it really impairs the, you know, the the benefits of the trust. So we'll talk about that. So Ted, let's talk about, you know, the trust really is an agreement. And unlike a regular contractual agreement, which is party A and B, what we call a bilateral contract, the trust actually has three parties to it. So it's unique in that part. So let's talk about the parties. So the, the first party we call the grantor. Now that is a synonymous term with settlor or trustor. And for our discussion today, We'll call that the trust maker. Generally, that's you creating your trust, and you would be the initial trust maker. And your job as the trust maker is to really write the terms and conditions of the trust, which you normally do by conveying your wishes, your goals, your objectives to an attorney who will then basically take your goals and objectives and turn those into a trust instrument with proper authority and powers to be put into it. So the job of the trust maker is really to design the rules. Then we get to the next position, which is the trustee. Now, that could be a grantee or a settlee, but let's we'll stick with trustee, easier to say. Now, the trustee's job is to manage the assets in the trust and to carry out the terms and conditions of the trust. And so this is a very important position um, to have, and as we'll probably discuss uh, ad nauseum throughout the show, your selection of the trustee, this fiduciary, to carry out your instructions and manage these assets is almost every bit as important as what the trust actually says is picking that right person. Now, the third party to the trust is the one that many people desire to be, the beneficiary. That is the person who is going to benefit or get the proceeds of the trust. So they are really kind of what we call the true and beneficial owner to which the trustee owns a duty. So this all sounds kind of complex, 
You know, as a legal matter, the answer is yes. From a practical matter, it's a very well-established body of law. And as Ted was saying, the use of trust, and there are so many different types of trust. And that's what we want to get into on our next break, is kind of breaking down, okay, we know what a trust is, it's an agreement. We know who the parties are. Now, let's dig in just a little deeper and figure out, well, what kind of trusts are there? What do they actually do? Folks, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we get back... We will continue on with our discussion. Please know that we are open for business um, at the office, all, you know, practicing all the correct measures that we need to do to keep ourselves, our staff, and you safe and secure. That's what we want to do. That's kind of our whole mantra of our law practice. So um, you can visit us at Your Partner in Law and get that life plan organizer we've talked to you about. We'll be right back. When we talk about estate planning and elder law, there are two triggers that cause you to review your plan. John Curley here with my attorney, Rick Regrick. And Rick, what are those two triggers? Thanks, John. There are two key triggers for when you should review your estate plan. Changes in health or wealth. COVID-19 is a significant impact to both, so everyone should review and update their estate plan. Ask yourself, are you and your family prepared? Do you have the right executors, agents, and trustees? Have you provided for your family? We're here to help. This pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, so each of us needs to be proactive during these difficult times. Be prepared. Have a plan. Talk to Rick. Gregor and Associates, they're open. They're essential business, and they want to help give you peace of mind. You can call them or meet virtually to discuss your estate and elder law plan. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or book your free consultation online at yourpartnerinlaw.com. Hey, it's Story Monson. This Thursday, 3 p.m., right after the big show, I'll be joining Brian Ott with 525 Advisors for his live webinar. You'll learn all about the new long-term care plans offered by Brian and 525 Advisors. They protect your savings, they protect your family, and the plan we have pays us back if we never use it. And having a long-term care plan, it brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It allows you to stay in control of your care options, and maybe most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. So reserve your spot today. Join Brian and me this Thursday, 3 p.m. I'll kick things off and share my long-term care story. Space is limited, so make sure to reserve your spot today at 525longtermcare.com. Brian keeps the webinar class sizes small to allow time for Q&A. There are a few spots left, so sign up now. It's all free, and I will be part of it. So go to 525longtermcare.com. That's 525longtermcare.com. It's times like these that remind us how crucial it is to make sure your family's health care documents and money management is in order. Hey, it's John Curley. Be proactive, have a plan, and do what's best for your family so everyone can have peace of mind. I can't recommend it enough. Talk to Rick Gregorick. He helped me in my estate plan, and Rick is open and ready to help make sure your plan is properly updated. And if you don't have an estate plan, Rick is absolutely the best in the area to create the proper plan to custom fit for your needs. Rick wants to encourage everyone to follow the guidelines being provided by local and state and federal governments to slow the growth of this deadly virus. It's vitally important to invest in yourself and your family. In a proper estate, an elder law plan has never been more important. Rick Gregorick and Associates are open now and ready to help you. You can schedule your complimentary consultation by calling 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Welcome back to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregorick of the law firm of Gregorick & Associates. Our website at the law firm is rjglegal.com. That's rjglegal.com. You can also find us at yourpartnerinlaw.com. Folks, we're, uh, we've been open for business since the pandemic uh, began. We're certainly doing business operations differently than we have done well, ever. <laughs> you know, we've always used the Internet. We've always used some sort of video stuff. We've always done you know, telephoning, and we've always gone out to meet 
people at their homes or at the nursing home or is at the hospital. Yeah. And we used to be able to do here. group seminars and things like that. that we but, can't do that right but now. But we've had to, you know, either lo- you know stop some of those activities altogether or really limit um, activities to, you know, one client in the office at a time and, you know, really, you know, all the social distancing and things like that. And so we're learning and adapting along with you, and we're trying to stay ahead of that curve a little bit. So we're here to help you. We're a service business. Lawyers are a service business. We that's what we provide is a service to you. We work for you folks and I you know and I I don't know if enough lawyers really communicate that well to their clients. You are our boss. We're here to assist you in achieving your goals and your objectives very simply. That that that's the whole motive of myself and I know Ted and all the other attorneys um that've ever been here and our paralegal staff we really are here to serve your needs and our greatest satisfaction is seeing satisfied clients but most importantly when your documents need to come into action it gives me great pride when i see our documents working being accepted ted we even get compliments from hospitals banks and financial institutions saying things like gee i wish everyone's documents were like this because they're easy and they're understandable (laughs) i mean it sounds so egotistical in that but when i get a letter from a very senior person at bank of america trust saying i have never seen a trust this thorough and complete that makes me feel really proud because we usually don't get a lot of positive feedback on the legal work that we do. You know, usually the legal work that goes awry is what gets all the attention. That, that, that's true. And, and you know, we're, we're unique, I guess, in this respect, Rick, that a lot of attorneys that draft estate planning instruments do not do administration work. And that is they don't do the back end work that, that is required when someone passes away. And by virtue of the fact that we do administration work, we learn a lot about how not to do things, and we learn a lot about things that are done well, frankly. And there are a lot of attorneys out there that do very good work, and there are a lot of attorneys out there that shouldn't be doing the work at all, quite frankly. <laughs> um, yeah, please and, stop. And, and in this arena, folks, this, the, 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 the state practice is... All lawyers are familiar from a base level with what a will is and what a trust is. However... A criminal defense attorney should not be drafting estate planning documents no more than I should be defending criminals in a court of law. If you want to be guaranteed to go to jail, have Ted or I defend you. Exactly, exactly. You want your trial to go awry from a criminal standpoint, you come to us. Ted, I've always described estate planning attorneys as the vegetarians rather than the the, the meat eaters of litigators. Now, I tell people, please don't misunderstand that because I think there's more power in the pen than any place else. And that's where you make strong robust documents that speak for you clearly and objectively and that's our goal here that is and 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 you don't get this same uh kind of attention when you do this kind of stuff yourself or you try to take shortcuts and you try to be cheap about it cheap and estate planning are not a good combination it typically costs people more to unwind bad planning than it would have ever cost them to do it right in the first place and we see so many of this and i can't tell you how many online documents i have had to deal with in my practice that have just horribly gone wrong for one reason or another and like i said generally will cost you 10 times as much to fix the problem as it would have just to do it right the first time yep you know, it's just the old saying. I think it's you know? like anything else, right? I mean, it's back in the day when you could fix your car. You know, you didn't want to put in cheap parts because you'd just be doing the job again, right? And and that's a good analogy here. It's, you well, know, Ted, just to put a fine point in that, when we were <coughs> fixing our own cars, we actually put American-made parts we'll in them, Put American too. parts in And they were a little simpler, but it was all made in America that's here. That's exactly right. So, Much like our documents. Just a little made in America. Pl- absolutely. Right? <laughs> Designed, made, and delivered yeah, right, right here in the USA. Folks, we've been talking a lot about your medical documents today. In the part at the beginning of the show, we talked about making sure you have your HIPAA off authorizations in place so critical a proper robust tailored medical durable power of attorney to delegate decision making for you in the event you can't make your own we were discussing the living will lastly that end of life decision making document that says something to the effect if my death is imminent with or without the application of life support please allow me to die naturally or if i've been put on life support 
and it's only artificially prolonging the process of my dying. Please remove me and allow me to die naturally. This last clause is one of the ones that we need to discuss with COVID in mind. If you were today, you're sitting there at home today, if you were faced with a decision today where you were inflicted with COVID and you had to be intubated, first question is, do you want to be intubated? Number two, if you are intubated, what about removal and different things like that? Folks, we need to have that conversation. The standard language really didn't, in, in the law, really didn't address something like a pandemic. It was more, you know, it was really geared more to, I guess I'd like to say, this garden variety illnesses. You know, people who have had been in accidents or been have a stroke or in a heart attack and things of that nature. That's what, sh- those are the types of things that shaped the law. Pandemics did not have an impact on shaping the law. Um, They've just been kind of there. And we've never experienced anything like this in modern history. I know we talk about the Spanish flu and everything, but, you know, I I don't know how comparable 1917 is to today. Other than that's about the same time that Karl Marx was uh, killing millions of people over in Europe to um, create Russia. I I remember that, too. I think a million people died. something like that from the Russian conquest, or actually more than 100 million. You can fact check me on that someplace, folks. Anyhow, um, the last medical document that we really want to talk about really has to do with kind of, you know, giving, and that has to do with organ donation or anatomical gifting. Folks, I want you to, you know, take a moment, doesn't have to be right now, but right after the show, I want you to pull out your driver's license, and I want you to take a look at it. And I want you to notice whether or not you have a little red heart on your driver's license. I have found that many people have that heart and they go and they've forgotten what's that what's that for. Well, that was meant when you went down and renewed your driver's license. At, it's at, not I love to drive. Right. Yes, I love to drive. Awesome. And so you checked a box or answered the question, yes, I would like to be an organ donor. Now, wonderful. I I applaud people who are organ donors or who want to donate their bodies to medical science and that God bless you really the world owes you a great deal of thanks on all the medical advances and things we have I'm sure it's even playing a part in bringing about COVID uh, treatments and vaccines and it's all part of the same engine but on the same token organ donation is not for everyone. So we like to have a frank conversation with each of you and start off with the threshold question. One, do you want to participate as an organ donor or not? If the answer is not, we can move on. If the answer is yes, then let's have a discussion to make sure we're all on the same page to understand what it means. In other words, if you say, I want to be an organ donor, are there any restrictions you might have on where your organs go? In other words, would you restrict it to only using your parts for organ donation or something like that where it's going to benefit a living person? Or is it okay for research and education? These are legitimate questions, and we need to ask these questions. So think about these types of things, but take a look at that driver's license. And then we want to take a look at uh, see how those things are going for you. Ted, we have a lot of discussion in this area of anatomical gifting and, and a lot of really kind of uncertainties on the public's part. Well, this is uh, something that's commonly not addressed in a lot of estate plans. I I don't see anatomical gifting forms in a lot of plans that I see. But it's so important if you're a donor to be able to know with some certainty what that means. And I I think a lot of folks, like Rick said earlier, not only are they unaware that they actually are a donor, but they're not aware of what that means to them. And, and, And how this works, practically speaking, folks, is, when you're a donor, and this is, can be incredibly difficult, but there, there is in accident cases and that sort of uh, anatomical gifting, what we would call a harvest time frame. Uh, in other words, your organs are only going to be viable for a certain period of time, and the doctors will have to act with some haste in making sure that they get this done. And that document makes that process so much easier. Now, it doesn't make it easier. Uh, for someone grieving the sudden death of a loved one, uh, particularly with children and things of that nature, 
uh, the last thing that you want to hear is a doctor calling you asking you about that when you're grieving a, a loss. But that is, in practicality, how it works. You know, it's a tough situation, folks. You know, I see anatomical gifting sometimes put in people's wills. Uh, usually people are buried or cremated before their will is ever admitted to court, and the will doesn't speak or give any authority until it's been submitted to the court and an executor has been appointed. So um, that's just kind of fallacious, and that tells me that the attorney or whoever drafted up that will really just didn't understand the process or what's going on. So check yourself out, folks. Um, it's really important to do so. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. When we talk about estate planning and elder law, there are two triggers that cause you to review your plan. John Curley here with my attorney, Rick Regrick. And Rick, what are those two triggers? Thanks, John. There are two key triggers for when you should review your estate plan. Changes in health or wealth. COVID-19 is a significant impact to both, so everyone should review and update their estate plan. Ask yourself, are you and your family prepared? Do you have the right executors, agents, and trustees? Have you provided for your family? We're here to help. This pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, so each of us needs to be proactive during these difficult times. Be prepared. Have a plan. Talk to Rick, Gregorick, and Associates. They're open. They're essential business, and they want to help give you peace of mind. You can call them or meet virtually to discuss your estate and elder law plan. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. Or book your free consultation online at yourpartnerinlaw.com. Hey, it's Story Monson. This Thursday, 3 p.m., right after the big show, I'll be joining Brian Ott with 525 Advisors for his live webinar. You'll learn all about the new long-term care plans offered by Brian and 525 Advisors. They protect your savings, they protect your family, and the plan we have pays us back if we never use it. And having a long-term care plan, it brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It allows you to stay in control of your care options, and maybe most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. So reserve your spot today. Join Brian and me this Thursday, 3 p.m. I'll kick things off and share my long-term care story. Space is limited, so make sure to reserve your spot today at 525longtermcare.com. Brian keeps the webinar class sizes small to allow time for Q&A. There are a few spots left, so sign up now. It's all free, and I will be part of it. So go to 525longtermcare.com. That's 525longtermcare.com. We return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick. Alrighty, welcome back to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregorick and I'm here with attorney Ted Hansen. We're talking trust. That's a new show, Talking Trust. And um, that'd be a fun show. Maybe we should do that. I like that. Unless somebody else steals it. <laughs> you know they've tried. Oh, over and over. So just a, you know, just a quick re, you know, recap and where we've been the first couple of segments of the show. Defining a trust as an agreement. Defining the parties to a trust. The grantor, trust maker. The trustee manager. And then the beneficiary who gets to enjoy the trust and the benefits thereof. And then we kind of talked about two classes of trust. One being revocable commonly used in the estate planning arena as a revocable living trust, and then irrevocable trust, which I generally describe as the specialist. The revocable living trust is a generalist. I call it the Swiss Army knife of trust. It's doing lots of different things in your life while you're alive, well and okay, what happens during disability, and then, of course, how things follow up upon your death. And many trusts stay in existence for decades, decades, decades as they pass down through your family. So they're powerful instruments and a lot of fun to deal with if you do it right. If you hear horror stories, it's because things weren't done right. It's not that the trust concept is flawed. It's the operations of it that can be flawed. So I wanted to talk a little bit this break here, Ted, on um, a couple of different trusts. And uh, one of the neatest trusts that's arose, you know, in the last 20 odd years has been the irrevocable or revocable um, IRA Asset Protection Trust, which we here at Gregory and Associates call a retirement plan trust. Folks, these are magnificent tools. Um, even in light of the SECURE Act, we've talked about these quite a bit on our show this year. Um, on the advantages of having your retirement assets 
be left to a trust. You don't put them in there during your life, as we said. You simply make this trust that's a specialty trust the beneficiary of your retirement plans, 401s, 403Bs, IRAs, all of it Roth traditional. You make the trust your beneficiary, and then when you move on and you pass on, the proceeds of your IRAs go into the trust, and the trust will set up separate shares for your beneficiaries and all kinds of protections of asset protection that, because as we know, as we've told you, your IRA assets, when they pass on to your children, are no longer asset protected. These are one of the most exciting trusts that's come about in my practice of law, um, dealing with that because your retirement assets are significant for most of you as a percentage of your estate. And historically, we've had very few planning options to improve your estate tax situation vis-a-vis retirement accounts. Now, Ted, I want to talk about another trust. And, you know, sadly, this is, you know, kind of a a timely topic to discuss. And, um, you know, Ted, uh, you know, had to now, Ted, I'll tell them, you, you tell your story. We're going to talk about this next end, and pay attention to this, folks. I think this will really be meaningful to lots of you. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, yesterday I had to put down my 12-year-old golden retriever named Scout, who was a family favorite and profoundly impacted my family in, in, a, in, a, in a deep way. And uh, so I got to thinking about this this morning, and I thought it might be instructive to talk to people about uh, the opposite, and that is you outlive your pet, and who's going to take care of my pet? And the state of Washington and all of their 50 states, <clears throat> excuse me, in the country now have an authorized what we call pet trusts, and pet trusts are a wonderful tool for those of you that want to ensure that if you predecease your animals, that they are going to be taken care of in a very meaningful manner, and I've done several of these over the course of my career. I've done them for horses. I've done them for dogs. I've done them for cats. I've done them for birds. I've done them for some more exotic things like lizards and things of that nature, believe it or not. But nevertheless, there are a couple of uh, key items um, when you do this type of planning. First off, let's say that two-thirds of Americans own pets of one way, shape, or form. So to some degree, this impacts all of us. And and so what, what really the focus of these pet trusts are, are both short-term and long-term. And the, the short-term would involve who's, who's going to be the immediate caregiver if something happens to you or you're disabled. Who is going to be that immediate caregiver if you're in the hospital and that animal needs care at home? Uh, you need to consider that. And then, of course, there's this uh, component we call long-term uh, care, and that is, you know, who is going to care for this pet on an ongoing basis? And and trying to avoid strangers and shelters and things of that nature are really large on people's radar. So we draft these instruments to address these various things. Um, this can be done in wills, but we don't prefer that. Pet trusts are far, by far a, a far more better way to plan, and, and this is why. Because when you have a trust set up that appoints somebody as a trustee, as one of these parties Rick and I talked about earlier, that person is responsible for carrying out the wishes of the trust maker as to the care of the pets, and it creates a fiduciary duty. In other words, that money that's in this trust needs to be used for the pets. It doesn't get used to pay the guy that takes care of the pets. Well, maybe that's a small portion of it, but certainly that's not the intention of it. And then, of course, what happens to the the money that's left over once that pet dies and no longer requires care? These are all arrangements that are much better done in a pet trust than in some informal arrangement, which rarely, if ever, works because one of two things happen. Either the person takes the money and gets rid of the the animal, that's common, or they just uh, never fulfill the duties and and the animal ends up somewhere other than where the person intended them to go. Um, These are just a few of the concerns. From a historical basis, Ted, you know, the... uh, the adoption or the creation of pet trust was a, um, a a significant legal feat, if you will, from a historical perspective. If we you know look at our statutes and everything, well, you can't leave money to a non-human being. Yeah. So you know your dog, you know he he can't go down and open up a bank account, and so we you know so that's where the trust idea came in. Right. But then the problem with um, the initial application in the early days. 
um, of putting you know pets as a beneficiary in a trust, one of the early issues was this old English law that is the bane of every law school student and estate planner. Still don't understand it. And it's still one of these crazy old things that came up in the King Henry VIII era, 1500s, early 1500s, called the Rule Against Perpetuities. So I don't have to confuse you with the facts in that, but part of that rule says you have to have a measuring life, referring to a human life. Well, the dog wouldn't qualify as that qualifying life, and therefore no trust could have an animal as a beneficiary. So in the 90s, this started to get a lot of attention across the country, um, certainly here in Washington as well. We were one of the first dozen states, I believe, don't quote me on that, you can fact check me, but we were an early state um, all the way back in 2001 when Washington State incorporated its first statutory pet trust, which allowed for these to happen and be able to deal with the rule against perpetuities and carved out some other exceptions to make these things do. And when they created the statute, um, the not every pet can qualify. Um, if you have a turtle that's going to live 400 years or a parrot, that, you, you can't do that. Um, it's, the, the statute's fairly broad in its definition, but it, it says that you can leave it to an animal with a vertebrae. In other words, a backbone. Um, to mammals, obviously, things of that. It's going to leave out your pet snake. Any reptiles, um, like I said, some, you know, have, some have frames, but yeah, but, uh, but the vertebrate animals um, and that they were originally thought of, uh, like you said, for for um, domestic for, animals. Well, right, well, yeah. horses breed, you know, right. racing horses, expensive That's animals exactly like that. Right. That was the origin of it. Is how do we deal with these expensive assets? That's exactly, and that's right. what drove it. But then, as you know, the law evolved. It said, hey, Fluffy and Muffy could be in this too. And, you know, it, it got a lot of traction for people who were a lot of Hollywood stars. Sure. I think Zsa, Zsa did something back well, in the Well, you day. know, I mean, the, the bottom line is, is the law still regards pets as personal property. They, 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 you know, and they're treated just like personal property if you don't otherwise provide for them. In other words, if you have a will-based plan and you haven't provided for your pet, the person in charge of distributing your estate is going to be responsible for that decision. And whether or not that decision is going to be in conformity to yours is a different matter unless you've done a really good job or you implicitly trust these people with that decision. So once again, these trusts are a wonderful way to make sure that you have some ongoing scheme. And, and by the way, there is another method that you can use while you're alive, and that's having a durable power of attorney to appoint somebody as an agent to care for a pet while you're disabled, which is another method you can use to at least do it while you're here. Right. Well, Ted, that is a great you know uh, point there because because the pet is considered chattel or personal property, just like your car or your you know your the couch in your house, it's personal yeah. property. Yeah. And so in dealing with it, we have to you know take that into consideration as well. But I think your point you know on making sure that in your general durable powers of attorney, if you have pets, that there are some provisions in there, uh, maybe just to, to keep them with you, to be able to visit them, uh, sure. or to visit you, or you want to have them living with you, or who would provide care for them during, like Ted said, that intermediate or short-term disability, or actually, you know, long-term if you were to pass, or, yeah. not, or be having capacity and not be able to care yeah, for them Yeah, so at all. these can be specifically drafted for that purpose. They, they can have that purpose as its sole, as its sole operational guideline is the care of this pet. It doesn't talk about banking and any other things like that. It just deals with this pet issue and, and while you're disabled. So these are that's another method you can use. It, it, you know, it's something that we need to talk about because, you know, many of our clients talk to us about their pets and what happens to them and all that kind of stuff. So um, we're quite skilled and experienced at doing these things. And if you'd like to talk about a pet trust with us, we'd love to chat with you. Hey, we'll be right back after this quick break. Hey, it's Story Monson. Thursday, July 9th at 3 p.m., right after the big show, I'll be joining Brian Ott with 525 Advisors for his live webinar. You'll learn all about the new long-term care plans offered by Brian and 525 Advisors. They protect your savings, they protect your family, and the plan we got pays us back if we never use it. Having a long-term care plan brings certainty to a very uncertain situation. It allows you to stay in control of your care options and, most 
most importantly, it brings peace of mind to your family during an extremely stressful situation. So reserve your spot today. Join Brian and me Thursday, July 9th at 3 p.m. I'll kick things off and share my long-term care story. Make sure to reserve your spot today at 525longtermcare.com. Brian keeps the class size small for a great learning environment. Space is limited. It's all free, and I'll be part of it as well. Go to 525longtermcare.com. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation. 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com. Yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. And welcome back to Your Partner in Law. Hi, I'm Rick Gregorick and... Um, I'm here with Ted Hansen and uh, phone number at the office, folks, uh, 425-284-3450. Yes, we're open for business. We'll meet with you in person or virtually or telephonically. We're here to serve you and what's best in, for you. So uh, give us a call or check us out at yourpartnerinlaw.com. I said earlier in the show that uh, we would provide our exclusive life plan organizer to you to just uh, contact us through your partner in law. All you got to do is let us know. If you're married or single, we'll get you the right organizer. Pretty simple. Hey, folks, our last break, we were talking about pet trust. You know, if you have a pet, you know what we're talking about. If you don't, eh, go visit a friend with a pet and see what what it's all about. (laughs) They're pretty cool. And um, as Ted said, you know, it's tragic, but his dog um, took a turn for the worst here and unfortunately had to put down. And so um, I know Ted and his his pet scout were very close. Talked about him frequently, as you know, yep. the golden misbehavior. I call it. the golden misbehavior. But uh, <laughs> in fact, this... I have a shadow box, Rick, at home of all these things he ate as a young dog, and I'm talking about things <laughs> like, like two or three cell phones, several remote controls, pieces of my banister, my couch, <laughs> numerous tennis balls and footballs and other things. And he was just a wonderful, wonderful animal, and I miss him dearly. Yeah. So we're talking about pet trust. And as Ted Apley said, you know, pets obviously don't have the life expectancy that humans do. You know, most pets have a 10 to 20 year life expectancy someplace in there. Um, some a little shorter, some a little longer, but in that relative time, you know, frame. So most pets do predecease their owners, but then many owners do predecease their pets. And that's Absolutely kind of what we were right. talking about here. Yeah. Um, when we have conversations about this, um, Pets are, you know, deeply emotional for many people, and certainly some of our elderly folks uh, who have that pet that's been with them. And oh boy, it's—I mean, it's, well, it's very, very meaningful. It's their companion, and and, and many. And I've had this. This comes up all the time. That these are my children, right? And pretty they, much. And, pretty they, much. and they, they treat them like that. And and I, I, you know, we've all heard the story of Leona Helmsley leaving millions and millions of dollars to to her dogs, and that actually happened. And I think there was some controversy over how that was done, but nevertheless, I think it played out ultimately to well, achieve was, her goals. You know, certain I, things like that were kind of abusive. Yeah, where, you know, I think so. Do and that, I, and, and and so that's what a lot of the pet trust statutes now. Are preventing right? Is, you know, yes. this isn't a get out of jail. Free and it's not a shelter, money. and it's not a shelter for your cash. That's that's absolutely right. right. So, so you know, legitimate so, stuff, folks. So legitimate. I thought I would. Uh, while we're on this topic, I, I think it's instructive to to point out just some things that you need to have in these documents that uh, all of these should should address. Num- number one is this issue of the caretaker and who that person's going to be and. And some of you uh, have somebody in mind, but you're not quite sure whether or not they're going to be capable of carrying out that role. Uh, the other item, of course, is money, leaving some form of cash or uh, 
uh, some cash generally is the only option to leave for them to allow for their ongoing care and for sickness and vet bills and things of that nature that are common in, in all pets, even healthy pets. The, the next critical item is uh, describe the type of care that you typically give the dog and, and what you want to have continued if you predecease that animal and and uh, describe that in some detail. You know, what type of food do they get? How much water do they get? How many times a day do they get fed? Those sorts of things. Um, Keep your couch away from them because they tend exactly. to eat it. Yeah, eat, eat your couch <laughs> and yeah, don't leave anything on the counter. <laughs> but Scout was notorious about swiping my burgers off the counter before I could even cook them. So I learned not to do that several years ago, but occasionally he still got me. Uh, the next one is uh, is this issue of who enforces this this pet trust, and that's where the trustee comes in. And this can be a friend, it can be a, a completely independent person who ensures that the terms of the trust and the money that you've left are used uh, wisely. And then, uh, well, maybe to a little clarification: the trustee manager doesn't necessarily also have to be the that's custody, correct. Have the that, that's correct. In different fact, roles. It's usually better if they're not. It is better if they're not. Frankly, it, it, it is better if you have a third party controlling the money because you, you number one, you make sure the money's not being misused. And, you know, number two, he has a fiduciary duty to carry out that responsibility. And that's different than having an informal arrangement with somebody where you trust them because informal arrangements in the law typically do not work. Uh, and then finally, you know, after this enforcement issue is, is, is both planning for both disability and death in the document. So who's going to be the disability trustee? Who's going to be the death trustee? They can be one and the same person, but you need to clarify that. Uh, and then finally, if there's any money left over at the end of the pet's life, where is that balance of that money go? Many people choose to leave a, a balance like that to the Humane Society or somebody like that, uh, who, by the way, also have some great plans for continuation of care for pets after you pass. Uh, I think the late, last time I checked, it was like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars, and it, it uh, included two animals, and it would guarantee that a no-kill shelter was used and that the pets would be cared for either by the Humane Society for the balance of that pet's life or by somebody uh, that came to adopt the animal or something to that effect. So so those are the primary concerns and the, and the key elements, if you will, of any pet trust that's drafted properly, all of which are important considerations. But nevertheless, I thought it was appropriate to talk to uh, the large group of dog and cat owners in the city of Seattle and beyond uh, in this area and uh, everybody in this area is, is dog friendly which is incredibly refreshing and and they just give so much love and they're you know they deserve some protection they, they really are I mean you know you think of pets of how instrumental they are in our lives and people who have them how important they are you know just uh, you know I had an experience here a few years ago with one of my clients and um, let's just say this is getting up in age, and you know she had a lot of aches and pains, and by and large was just kind of miserable and grumpy, and was living in an assisted living case, uh, situation, and just never smiled. And I felt so sad for her. And I was, you know, I, I what can I do? I'm your attorney, and helping you with your wills and trust. But how do I help with their happiness? And of course, I had no idea. And then. It it, it, it it jumped out of me, right in front of me, because here came another lady walking through the lobby with a little dog. And, you know, she was carrying this little dog. And my client, she kind of looked over there, and lo and behold, she smiled. I went, OMG, <laughs> she smiled. I went over to the lady with her dog, and I said, you know, could my client here maybe pet your dog or maybe even hold her for a minute or something? She's, oh, yeah, she's really good with old people. Well, she went over and let, you know, my client kind of pet the dog and she held her on her lap for a little bit. Oh, my goodness, this lady was like butter. She was, you know, happy and she's petting the dog and everything. I got back to the office. I called the lady's son and I said, I have some new legal advice for you. Get your mom a dog. Oh, there you go. Or or get a pet service to come out and visit. I said, I just had the most remarkable experience with your mom that I never expected to have. <laughs> she, I said, she smiled, man. She, she actually smiled. And I said, you know, that pet, this might be a fill in a void there for her that's crazy. I'll tell you what, it's not uncommon, Rick. I go to these adult family homes and uh, nursing homes, and that is a common item in these houses. Is uh, They bring a lot of joy. And, yeah, to and everybody, comfort. you know, to everybody. And I, you know, I just, 
I know this one hits a little close to home. So, <laughs> well, you know, that's what makes these things meaningful is because yeah. you know, folks, this stuff is personal. Estate planning is personal. It does tug at your heart. Yep. As well as your wallet. That's okay? yeah, absolutely right. So, in good and bad ways. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's it's what it is. But you know, I've, I've talked to some folks who have the misconception that if you do estate planning and trust, that somehow you're giving up control. Ted touched on this earlier. You're not giving up control. You're actually asserting your control. You're saying, if this happens to me, this is how it's going to happen. This is who's going to be in charge. It's going to be done, in other words, your way. Just like Frank said, do it my way. <laughs> yeah, your estate plan should be about you and how you want things to go. I mean, obviously, there's reason, you know, to, you know, rational things. But, you know, in, in practical terms, you should decide how your assets are managed in the event of disability or death. And, you know, just kind of what's going on there. You should do it for you and your family and your situation. Yeah. And the same holds true for these types of trust, the pet trust. You know, that, that's what they're for. And, and uh, like I said earlier, they're a tremendous tool and give a great deal of peace of mind to people who who are aware that they may predecease their pet, you know. And in this situation uh, that I had, I, I, <laughs> I frankly expected to not outlive my dog, to be quite honest with you. So this one kind of hit quite close to home. Yeah, so, you know, these are really challenging situations, and just like we started the show, I'll close the show with saying, you know, be well, be safe, uh, practice, please practice, especially the social distancing and staying out of groups, folks, um, small gatherings, do your mask, um, you know, make a statement with your mask, put a funny face on it. I've seen all kinds of clever ones. I think a lot of the kids and the high school kids are really coming up with Who would some ever fun thought masks. of that? Who would ever thought of that as a marketing idea, you know, right? So you know? there's a lot that uh, protect yourself and protect others. And just remind you, we are open. Check us out at yourpartnerinlaw.com. That'll get you right through to the law firm. Or you can give us a call the old-fashioned way at area code 425-284-3450. Like I said, we're, we're here to help, and uh, if there's anything we can do, if you're having any trouble communicating with loved ones in a hospital or setting like that, maybe we can help. Um, give us a call, but um, if you don't have an estate plan, I can't think of a more heightened time in your life that you should have one. Um, we all face a great deal of uncertainty right now, and uh, as we know, COVID and other pandemics are rather blind as to who they affect so it doesn't yep. matter who you are that's right um we're all vulnerable hey folks we'll uh, talk to you next week have a great long week. may you, you run scout long may you run thanks for listening to your partner in law with rick Gregorick. event info newsletters and your partner in law podcast can all be found at yourpartnerinlaw.com to schedule an appointment with rick Gregorick. Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. For more information on the show or to sign up for a free partner-in-law event, visit yourpartnerinlaw.com. Tune in next Sunday morning at 9 to Your Partner-in-Law with your host, Rick Gregorick. Simulcast on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH.